0: Hello, this is Ruslan Malinowski. Hello,
1: this is Roman Yeremchuk.
0: Hello, I'm Sergei Erebro.
1: And you're listening to Ukraine Post (laughs)
0: Football.
2: Storms are hitting the continent. Ukrainian team buses are getting stuck in them, whilst VAR or its inactions continue to cause controversy. It's been quite the month in Ukrainian football since we were last with you. The winter break has already started for Persia and Druha, whilst it's just around the corner for the UPL2. Busich's Shakhtar have their UCL destiny in their own hands. Rebrov's national team are in the Euro playoffs, and Ukrainians across Europe are showing up and putting performances in Europe's top five leagues, week in, week out. Joining us this evening to take you through all that is special guest Vitali Volachai. Vitaly, welcome back to the pod. Hope you're well.
3: Yeah, hey guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, back. I, I almost forgot I've been on the pod one, once, like one year or a year half ago, something like that. Um, for the start, I want to say sorry for, for my English. Because, uh, you know, n- not being able to go out for- from Ukraine for the last two years, I'm losing uh, I'm losing my English a bit. So if I was for- forget some words, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry.
2: Of those of you who missed that episode back in May 2022, yeah. uh, Vitaly is a very well-known figure in the world of e-sports, but also a very experienced football commentator and pundit covering the top five leagues, the UPL and the national team regularly. So, who else would we come to for this sort of episode? We're covering everything tonight. Starting off, of course, with the big match last week in Europe. Andrew. You were in Hamburg. What was it like as our man on the ground?
0: Well, in between doing ad hoc interpreting for Pusic, (laughs) for Magogo, actually, after the game, uh, it was quite an interesting game, to be honest. Uh, I think after the first leg, you could say, where Shakhtar came back 1-3-2, there was always the anticipation that it could be a slightly tricky one because of how Antwerp attack... They like going forward, they're they're quite exciting, and how Shakhtar's defence hasn't been the best in the UPL in particular in recent match days. However, Pusic, he got the big famous win against Barca a few weeks before, and then he put in a bit of a masterclass uh, from his Shakhtar side against Antwerp as well, where They got an early goal. They probably should have got three, maybe four goals in total, really, from the chances that Shakhtar created. Uh, Riznik played a blinder in goal. Really solid performance, despite everything that he's currently going through. At the moment, obviously, his brother uh, died in the war fighting a couple months ago, and he's putting in performances like that. Absolutely unreal. And, you know, it's another one that they obviously have seen Pyatov retire. Trubin leave and the Rizniks putting in a show between the sticks. And then as well as that, some good performances outfield too. Um, We saw Mbikola Matvjenko back to his best, really. He's had a really difficult 18 months, putting a good performance at centre-back there alongside Bondar, who himself was pretty shaky last season. And he's looking a lot better, a lot more confident uh, these days. So that's really good to see. And uh, for me, uh, Daniel Sekan coming leaps and bounds as well, getting more involved in games, being a lot more physical on the ball, uh, lots of running, and he's like really, really enjoyable. And of course, of course, Sudakov, who's the man of the moment. Fabrizio Romano's talking about him. Obviously, he's linked with Juventus. Apparently, he's had loads of scouts watching him from the top five leagues, the Premier League, etc., but Shakhtar want close to what they've got for Mudrik from him. Uh so we'll see how that saga goes forward. But for the time being, Shakhtar seem to be the makers of their own destiny going into the final match day. They've got Porto. All they have to do is win. But where have we had that before? Ukrainian teams, they they love it uh, going into the finals. But yeah, Vitali, what did you think of the game? What do you think is the main difference at the moment between Shakhtar's form in the Champions League and the Ukrainian Premier League? Because they can't really seem to find a connection between the two.
3: Yeah, so first of all, you know we we talked uh, about the the group stage about the antwerpen in in our podcast uh, before uh, the first games and uh, i liked uh, my my colleague igor boyko uh, I, I liked his statement that there is no game uh, this season in europe in which ukrainian team will not be underdogs there is no game like any game we're underdogs but this one was actually i think the first one after nipro 1 versus spartak trnava when Shakhtar were not underdogs. Uh, because, uh, to be honest, uh, we were all expecting from Van Bommel's team a lot of a lot of good football. Uh, because last season, this team was good. They, they were really good, but they lost, like, William Paco to Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, uh, Vincent Janssen was playing last year like a national team starting f- player. And this year, Antwerpen are, are just a bad team. So uh, those two games were actually too easy for Shakhtar as for me uh so this is this is this is not an opponent uh, that I was expecting that we all were expecting so i was expecting much tougher opponent much harder games uh and it was reliably easy for Shakhtar when we talking about like games uh, in UPL and games uh, in uh, Champions League uh of course it's it's a level of game so the same guys i mean the same valery bondar you just you just talked about mitro Riznik, uh, krytskyi sudakov sikan playing in upl for them is just regular job it's just something they will do day after day day after day and they're gonna play metal East in five days and someone else so they just a regular job it is high it is hard to be super excited about those games even if you are playing Nick Pro one or Dynamo it's 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 really hard when you're playing Champions League and when you're playing uh with such a crowd because I'm shocked about that crowd in Hamburg I'm I'm actually genuinely shocked. Those guys are not used to play uh, last two or three years. When we're talking about Jorge Sudakov, he plays Tier 1 football for the last four years. So it was COVID and then it was war. So he's used to play without like any fans on the stands. And now those, this atmosphere and this is energized the team. So that's why I think Shakhtar are playing... A different way of, of 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 a game when they play in Champions League than in UPL, and maybe maybe during the uh, the next part of the season, I mean uh, during the spring season, uh, that will level up and uh, they will play the same level of football in Ukraine. But but right now, of course, the goal is Champions League and. Uh, I would not be shocked if we're gonna see some rotations before the Porto game in Ukrainian Championship because you, and know it's it's hard to to do this train rides back to Ukraine, then to Warsaw, then flying to Porto, then back to Ukraine. So that's exhausting. Uh, that's why I think uh, the last two games uh, of this season in UPL for Shakhtar will not be so good as uh, as versus Antwerp. I'm expecting Shakhtar uh, in Portugal to be a real Shakhtar. The the, the one uh, the one game they have uh, the most important game this season is the next one.
2: Very thoughtful insight there. Thank you so much for that. I haven't quite took on that perspective of the games, the t- the two league games. Um, would you consider them almost throwaway games for Shakhtar there, Patel?
3: Well, those games are Metal East and, and Varas. Those should be easy games. Both should be played in Lviv. If I would be a coach of Shakhtar, I would play like some 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 kind of uh, reserves uh, doing some rotations because uh, the pitch is going to be hard right now. It's super cold in uh, in Ukraine right now, so the, the, the main goal is to avoid the, any injuries uh, before the game in Portugal, so that's the games they need just to pass by. I don't know why, I don't know how, but they need to, to focus on Porto, of course.
2: Definitely so, definitely so. It's been an interesting conversation, obviously, since the game uh, in Hamburg, about actually, do do we want Shakhtar to take that second spot and go into a round of 16 game or drop into the Europa League where, you know, that second tier of competition where the teams aren't quite as strong. When you look at the clubs that have already qualified, when I looked at the list, the only name that I put a kind of a question mark against was uh, Real Sociedad. And I think the rest of them, we're talking about the giants of the European game, maybe a tough ask whoever they get and so i mean what are your thoughts on that and then i know andrew you've got some uh opinions strong ones on it as well
0: well it's an interesting one because i think that we in the build-up to that game we will 100 see this being spoken about across the ukrainian media landscape people will be like oh it's actually better to go to the europa league because at least they can maybe make the round of 16, because obviously Shakhtar will probably have to go into a playoff round and then the round of 16 and then the quarterfinals, etc. Oh, it's a better chance of winning a tournament. But if we're actually going to be properly realistic, Shakhtar probably don't have the best chance to win a tournament. So actually making the round of 16 in the Champions League, which I think they've only done three times in the past, past decade. And As a result of that, this will obviously be quite a historic thing. But what I saw on Twitter, a good friend, Roman, uh, over in America, good listener, he also has sort of brought about the fact that making the round of 16 in the Champions League is huge in the coefficient tables. So you actually get like a substantial amount of points just for making the round of 16, like five whole coefficient points, which will put us, you know... Ukraine, that is, in the UEFA rankings, up to the top 15 again, where Ukraine are currently in 17th, 18th and risk possibly falling down a bit lower, which would mean, if that was to happen, that Ukraine could lose a coefficient spot if Shakhtar doesn't make that Champions League round of 16. So it, it could be quite, quite huge, even if we are to face any one of those you know man city or anything like that and at the end of the day we've seen that pusic's side can put on quite a good performance against some of these big boys and you know ironically i'd even say that this season right now shakhtar actually have having a more successful champions league campaign than they did last year just on the basis that they beat uh, rb leipzig of course in that first game but rb leipzig like terrible yeah. uh, sacked their manager uh, straight after. And then those draws against Celtic where you thought that maybe Shakhtar probably should have won them, but they didn't. Then they got the draw against Real Madrid in the last second, which was like really unfortunate. But now it seems like Shakhtar actually getting across the line in those games that they should have won. So, and funnily enough, they've probably got a worse squad just on the basis that they got rid of Mudrik, obviously, he was the talisman and a few other players. But, it seems that it's a lot more rounded now, so it will be interesting to see. Personally, I would, I thought, I think it would be great to see a Ukrainian team in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Just that kind of achievement would be massive. It would be really big for the coefficient, seeing as Shakhtar are the cross bearers, the sole cross bearers of that now. <laughs> as we're about to fight, talk about Zorya, sadly, um, and literally, if 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 they don't do that, and you know, they have another kind of two rounds against someone like a Ren or a Feyenoord and then sort of bow out because the motivation is slightly less as Vitaly has already mentioned when the, when you're playing in that champions league with those 50,000 ground, like you know, the players are going to love it. And we mentioned the likes of like Sudakov, they want to put themselves in the, in the shop window and all that kind of thing. And I feel that probably Sudakov won't be going anywhere in the winter just because I don't think anyone's after the Mudrik saga no one's probably going to be shelling that much out on him as rashly. You know, I think they might wait a bit, see how the Euros go, maybe the Olympics, or you know, however all that works out next summer. It's quite a big one for for everyone, if Ukraine make it, of course. And and then and then work it out there. So it's it will be another extra thing. So fingers crossed that. Somehow <laughs> they can turn it around against Porto because that first game against Porto was terrible. Obviously, under Van Vanlerven, they've completely turned the turned a new page. Let's see, let's see how it goes.
3: Vitali, yeah, Do you agree, with me, him, agree with him there. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally ag- agreed with uh, with Andrew because uh, six years without Ukrainian team in uh, in the playoffs uh, that's that's a lot, uh, and we should not forget about the money. Uh, the money. Shakhtar is going to get uh, for qualifying to playoffs and if uh, Shakhtar will win Porto. Let's not forget, Shakhtar will uh, almost 100% guarantee for themselves a spot on the World Championship, Club World Championship. Mm -hmm. It's such a thing next year in Saudi Arabia, whatever. That's a lot of money too. And that's a great scene for a player. That's a great scene for Sudakov, for other guys for next Shakhtar targets to to sell i don't know who there's going to be like krizkev or bondarenko he's right now not playing a lot but i am completely sure Artem bondarenko is going to be next sudakov on a, on a, on 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 a sale uh, so they do really need this and i've read a lot of ukrainian social media posts like after the game with santarpen and and people They do understand that Porto is a hard opponent, but people are tired of playing like versus Rennes, uh, Feynards, Maccabees and other teams uh, Shakhtar played uh, during the spring's last five years. Yeah, that's you have more chances, of course. Obviously we had a semi-final of uh, Europe League like three years ago when Mm -hmm. Shakhtar lost to to Internacional. But that's not the level our people want to watch football because we do really need those like big victories. And even if it's gonna be like matchup versus Bayern Munich and Shakhtar is gonna lose like 3-0 on Allianz Arena and then they will play like draw in Hamburg, that's gonna be a much better than they will go to quarter final of Europe League Europe League and will lose to Wolfsburg or Eintracht Frankfurt. So I think Champions League is much, much better option.
2: Now and Andrew, you said you know once Ukraine get up. Above the 15th spot cutoff, that's another team that gets European qualification. Which, when you're talking about the finances, that's not just Shakhtar that's being affected, then that's UPL benefiting from it as well. And from what I recall with my work at Mondorf, uh, I think qualification for the Conference League, it's a minimum of a half a million euros coming into a club, which as when we talk, we talk about Zaria and some of the other clubs later on today. Every Euro is going to count at the moment for a number of teams across the landscape. Now, Zaria, we hoped, we hoped that at the start of this campaign, it was looking possible. but well, the, the final nail has been hammered shut uh, in Belgium of all places, of course, uh, as Antwerp gets kicked out, Genk comes along and does the kicking out on, on the Thursday night. They're really in a mess, aren't they, Andrew? Your namesakes.
0: <laughs> Sadly, a uh, real mess this season. Uh, obviously, sacked their manager... Well, their manager left a, a few weeks into the season. Well, their first one. Then Kriventov left... About three or four weeks ago, straight after their loss to Maccabi Tel Aviv, the first time round, caretaker manager in. It, it seems like he's coming to steady the ship until the winter break. And then maybe Zoria will have some kind of plan in place for the remainder of the season. However, it all seems like there was no plan to begin with. Obviously, Van Leuven leaving sort of caused issues. Then they brought Lalatovic in he left in very peculiar circumstances but he had a track record for that of being very peculiar and weird and he <laughs> did that when when he when he left after a few games in and obviously after a poor run of results too krivensov did not have the same impact that people were expecting maybe trying to see something that he created at MetaList 925 when he was there. Nothing really of the ground. If anything, they regressed even further under him because, well, the first two matches in the Conference League this season, so he actually played pretty well. They played quite good against Ghent. They probably should have even won that first game, but just really bad at finishing. and That's basically been the story of their of their kind of... And defensively towards the latter stages of this campaign. And then got that very narrow win against Breiderbik where they were pretty decent defensively. And then that's all sort of fallen apart. The two matches against Maccabi, Tel Aviv, who have been through their own troubles because of uh, the Hamas attacks and everything that's going on in Gaza. They like, hadn't played for over a month. They came in and won in the first game and then in the second game, similar. And it's like uh, Zoria only turned up towards the end of the match when, you know, the other team was switching off and it was a bit too little too late. And what my whole point of all of this is, is that it seems unlikely that Zoria will be getting into Europe through the league this season because of how bad they're playing in the UPL as well. So where does this leave the future of Zoria? Because obviously for the past, I don't know, many seasons, making Europe has been their main moneymaker. They make that group stage just about. And then they carry on going. Last season, they didn't make it, of course. So it was like squeaky bum time, but they ended up salvaging it and get making it into this one. But it's like from next season, they won't do it. And then you just see the kind of problems that they've got. They've got a lot of loanees, which is always a red flag, kind of similar to Mariupol. Maybe not anywhere near to that standard, but they've got a lot of loanees that are coming in. So it just means that that sort of instability of having your own players and ones that you can actually sell on for bigger money. I know that Batahov, of course, will probably be going somewhere. He was linked with, I think, someone said MLS last summer or somewhere like that. Maybe he, they might come in for him again. Elsewhere, we also saw Guerrero. He's probably not as good as he was last season, for whatever reason. He's looking slightly off off the ball going forward. And then some of their better stars, like Boyle's not been too bad. Horbach, who's probably the standout for them. They're on loan from Dynamo Kiev. So I would actually be slightly worried because I'm not sure, obviously, what Hela, the obviously the Zoria owner, is currently thinking about. But if, if it goes into this sort of consistent regression and they finish, you know, bottom half, then they struggle next season to attract players, etc., and have a similar campaign with no Europe. Then it really could get pretty dire pretty quickly.
3: Yeah, it actually could. Like the team was, let's be honest, was without a fan base right now, uh, without a stadium, without a home, without a normal amount of players. Last year they 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 had a good season because of of lonies. Because uh, all those players who played for them last season, they're good this season. Like Shakhov, uh, Serhii Buletsa, uh, Volodymyr Brashko uh, was great last season. Uh, uh, Pavlo Polehenko is one of the leader of Karpaty right now. He was. He, they were a, a really, really uh, decent players last year for Zoria, and they lost all those players. They lost the uh, coaches, and the biggest problem is is are those coaches because they they didn't they did not understand what 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 they were doing like a few games uh i've i've read and i've listened to few of, of his uh after game press conferences this guy was not ready for upl with this team he he was not he, he didn't understand what, what he what the fuck he was doing here so that's a problem you cannot take a caretaker manager in, in the middle of season without any goals, with your team playing in the European Cup, with no players, with no depth of the squad, and with such a big problems. So I expect a huge decline from, from Zorya. I think when they will uh, officially be out from uh, Conference League, some players going to leave Zorya. I'm completely sure some guys not from Ukraine will just not return to Ukraine. I'm completely sure about that. And the dire times are coming to Zaryat. I completely agree with Andrew.
2: Yes, yeah, a s- sad state of affairs, as you say. It's 10 years, isn't it, this spring that they left, the- yeah. Yeah. left their home? And you know, remarkable resilience to have kept going during this time. And we hope for them as a symbol of everything that they continue, but it does. Doesn't look optimistic going forward. And I have to raise a, a similar question but with a with a bit of a tangent on it. With Shakhtar's under nineteens and Rooks' under nineteens bowing out of Europe as well, are there any concerns there? About the players coming through in the under nineteens leagues, Andrew. I know you went to a couple of games. Was it outclassed or bad luck, or where do you think they went? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think that it's kind of this transition period. Shakhtar have got some good talents coming forward. Guy called Yushchenko, he's looking quite exciting, and a a number of others, and and the look the same. And I feel that it's just after last season's successes especially for Ruch, with a lot of them transitioning into the first team. Like very recently, Viktor Vatsko has been talking about how Ruch's top talents who were playing well in their under-19s just last year are now being scouted and touted to some of Europe's top clubs. So Ilya Krasnitsa, we've liked the look of for Ruch and the under-21s. Uh, Zbierna, he's being linked with Girona. They are touting him potentially as a, Victor Tihankov replacement. You've got Marcos Apucha, who is a defensive midfielder. He's being looked at by FC Basel. And Bogdan Slubik, who scored that one to go against Shakhtar earlier on in the season, he's being linked with Lazio. And he said that in a recent comment to Legionez, uh, the Instagram page and Telegram channel, that he'd want to, if he wants to go anywhere... Despite being linked with Union Berlin and uh, Wolfsburg as well, he'd like to go to Italy to be closer to his mum because I think she must live there. So, um, Lazio are in talks, but Ruch, as we know, they want big bucks for their talents. And, uh, well, big bucks in the reality of the situation, uh, or, you know, is rejecting the likes of Slavia Prague for Slobic back in the summer for 2.5 million and wanting around 5 million euros plus. For him. So I don't think there's anything close or concrete going forward, as uh, Vatsko mentioned. Um, it, we'll have to just wait and see whether any of these players do end up moving because, like we saw, Sitch was playing really well for Kortrijk, but now he's back here after successful Euros as well. He's back at Rook. Seems like no one can really pay for the fee that Rook wants. So it could become problematic in that regard. We're probably going to need maybe a year or two for that to kind of regain any kind of uh, consistency, in my opinion. And especially with uh, Shakhtar under-19s, they've got uh, Alexei Belik as their coach now, and he's just come in. I don't think he's got much experience as a coach uh, for coming up to senior level kind of thing. So he probably needs a bit of work to do especially with that so they can focus on that obviously in the domestic competitions as we go on but just before we move on to obviously the national team uh, chat I feel that it is quite a good connector on basis of under-19s because obviously a few weeks ago we had some controversy that some players are not getting called up to the under-19s team the national team that is because Kuznetsov the the manager said that he's not scout. He's not scouting them properly or he's not seen them or he's not heard about them. And this is about like Danilo Crevson who plays for Borussia Dortmund and is playing really well there, under-19s. And obviously it caused some controversy in Ukraine. But ultimately what I think it is showing an example of is that a lot of these young players that have actually left Ukraine since the start of the war or the full-scale invasion is that we're going to be seeing more and well, as maybe the next generation, the, the majority of the top talents will probably be playing for some European teams. Uh, and maybe we're gonna to have to wait two, three years until there'll be some recovery from those some of those players that have remained in Ukraine and still need to build up to that, or maybe we'll return. But you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a, a catastrophe or anything like that that this has happened. It's like oh well go again next year but if obviously if it continues then we can talk about any sort of further problems
2: definitely so i mean the under 21s the national team obviously uh, have got a shining light on them at the moment and they are uh, calling the attention of scouts from all over the all over europe as i've met myself over the season um the under-19s hopefully will continue in the same vein and as you mentioned that it's great to see ukrainian talent popping up in these academies across europe as we know not just in germany but everywhere throughout the continent including sunburn of all places <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't just domestic and uh, club-level football that we've had going on. There's a rather important match took place uh, a few weeks ago in Germany again. Everything seems to take place in Germany these days, wasn't it, in, uh, in Leverkusen. Now, I know, Andrew, you were there. We'll come to you in a little bit. I mean, Ray, great to have you with us. Hope you've been well over the, the last month or however long it's been. <laughs> Um, what were your views on that game, and was it a penalty?
1: Uh, hi, guys! Pleasure to be here as always. I think listeners uh, got used to me being absent in the, <laughs> in, the mic- in the near the microphone from the beginning of the pod. But hey, I'm here. Um, that uh, was a penalty, but it, it's, there's no point discussing it because uh, VAR referee was the same from Wales game and chefferin said that uh, backstage he mentioned that italy would italy not qualifying would be a disaster so it all made sense and hey that's um, another um, cont- um, controversy and another uh, theory but we are going to face bosnia again and after that we might face israel which i would call in advance a battle for the headlines Because obviously, last year we were the newsmakers, and this year they are. So, (laughs) a bit of dark humor there, but that's how it is. And uh, maybe we shall call up Petrokov for Bosnia game.
2: Definitely so. Definitely so. Am I right? Did I read some that Seferin said something about Bosnia as well? You know, now that he's got Italy there, it'd be nice to have another Balkan nation like Bosnia. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> in the tournament, he's he certainly got it in for Ukraine, hasn't he, at the moment? Uh, yeah, the stick... context
1: was the context was that uh, uh, again, that would be a shame if Bosnia didn't qualify, but it's almost impossible due to the complications that he realizes they playing worse than Ukraine, which is still kind of falls into place.
2: I'm going to put my, my stick my nose in here as as, as somebody living in Luxembourg. Uh, I was talking with some football people here and they looked at the pathway, they went, so Ukraine plays Bosnia? or oh, Bosnia are awful, we've beaten them home and away. And then I went, yeah, and so who's in the other semi-final? Iceland and Israel. They're like, Iceland? Well, we beat them as well. This is really easy for Ukraine. So, uh Yeah. There's a lot of optimism here that Luxembourg's going to go through Route C and Ukraine's going to go through <laughs> Route A, <laughs> so, Route B. Sorry, so it's it's going to be a very interesting summer. Uh, anyway, though, come back to the game and it was a really really good performance. I thought, obviously, Andrew, you were there completing your golden season. Congratulations on that. Uh, how was it there on the day?
0: I mean, it was another great performance from uh, Rebrov's men. Uh, we have seen some problematic games over the past year, of course. The game in Milan was probably the worst uh, in terms of how Ukraine set up, how some of the key players ended up playing. So it was good to see the opposite of that. But ultimately, what Ukraine lacked was just that final ball, that final pass, and that finisher. For some reason, Dobic looked absolutely unbelievable in the first 15 minutes. Then he sort of quietened out towards the end of the game, and it for some reason he's just unable to recreate the kind of tenacity that he's got at Gerona or that we've seen that he can do at Gerona this season. So it's a bit it's a bit weird. Hopefully that he will overcome that and will carry on uh, and bring that to his game for the national team in the future. But ultimately another solid game from Sudokov. Trubin had a really good match as well. Some good saves there. Just didn't get over the line. And of course the VAR controversy, fingers crossed that that Spanish VAR official will not be involved in the playoffs. As long as he isn't, then I think we have got half a chance at a minimum. And as... We get closer to that. I don't think there's any point in actually going too much in detail over there, but I don't think it's worth saying. Oh, this is the easiest draw of all time because, as our good friend Dmitro July said on his stream that I was watching the other day, uh, Ukrainian media says this before every 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 uh, playoff draw. That's oh, yeah, Slovenia. We'll get past them. Uh, we'll get past Greece, etc., etc. And what ends up happening? Not the best. So just level-headed, bring it in. They know who they'll be facing if they make it to the Euros due to the draw having already happened. And I mean, I just mentioned not getting carried away from the playoff draw. I think a lot of people are already potentially getting carried away by the actual final draw. Belgium in Ukraine's group as the top seed, a team that Ukraine have never played before, managed by Tedesco, the manager that Shakhtar beat last season in the opening game uh, of the Champions League against RB Leipzig Lukaku coming out against his arch nemesis Trubin, would be would be fun to see let's see if he can get shut out once more Slovakia and Romania if Ukraine make it through uh, played across Munich uh, Dusseldorf and Stuttgart could prove to be a very exciting tournament if Ukraine make it let's just hope that they can but obviously we will be coming back to that closer to time uh, around March but I think what one thing that we can discuss right now is who might be in that squad in March and whether we might be seeing some new faces in it
2: or what about the return of some old ones perhaps Mr. Kovalenko is having a bit of a renaissance, isn't he, yeah, down in uh, Italy? Yeah, yeah, Italy.
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah I was I was commentating both last games of Ampoli and he scored two games. So people demand uh Megago to put me in every Na- Ampoli game right now because I'm I'm you know I'm I'm a totem for Victor Kovalenko. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, yeah, why not? Why not? We we have a problem in midfield sometimes, and if uh, Andriy uh, Yarmolenko is has has an injury or someone else, why not? Viktor Kovalenko is a good asset to have, so maybe maybe till the March he will be back. But continuing with with the Bosnia talks, uh, I had a pleasure to work on Bosnia games uh, on these qualifiers few times I worked on, I commentated Bosnia versus Iceland, the first game, and the only real game they won, because Bosnia won versus Iceland, and then two times versus Liechtenstein, all other games they lost. And I worked uh, at uh, their game versus uh, Luxembourg, uh, the home one, they lost 0-2, and versus Portugal, 0-5. This is a bad national team right now, so this is actually the worst in Luxembourg, the worst in Iceland, they are worse than Georgia or Greece. They are one of the worst uh, teams in all, t- all 12 playoff teams. So that shouldn't be a problem for Ukraine. But as Andrew told, every year we will find the problems for ourselves uh, <laughs> if we need. And Israel uh, are a decent team too. So I, I don't believe in Iceland. Iceland are not really good team, so uh, Israel is the main target and it, it it's, it's they are the team we should talk about first of all because I do not believe Bosnia could be an opponent for us.
2: My mind drifts back to in- interviews we did during the, the World Cup campaign where uh, even back then there was a lot of talk of all the problems of the federation in Bosnia in particular. Now, one name that must be on the tip of everyone's tongue is... Yamaluk. Now he's he's I mean, puts a smile on my face, obviously, going back for, oh three and a half years ago when we were talking about him, but now he's he's hit the level that we all hoped he would be. Now he's made his first team debut, followed up with his first first team start, Brentford. I believe the youngest in Brentford's history. In the top division i don't know about their times over
0: 70 years or or over
2: 70 years wow 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 and he's holding his own isn't he i mean he doesn't look out of place i remember talking to some brentford fans last summer and they went we're not sure we're not sure about him he's proven them wrong hasn't he And it's great to see he's he's stepping up do you think he's got a chance of being in that squad Next, Maybe, if not next March, next summer?
0: I think so. I think he, maybe not as a starter, but I think 100%, if he's going to carry on featuring in the Premier League for Brentford on a regular basis, then Rebrov cannot uh, not call him up kind of thing. Because like he's he's got to be a shoe in Because if you're playing in the Premier League, regardless of how well he's doing for the under-21s as well, He's got to make that step up. And he is one of those...
1: Where where does Sidorchuk go?
0: (laughs) Well, Sidorchuk will... I think there'll be a place for him always. (laughs) The only problem, as as we mentioned, is that due to, obviously, the COVID restrictions stopping, there's no longer going to be a 26-man squad at the Euros next year. It's only going to be 23. But I think that... You know, we just spoke about Kovalenko. I think that Yarmoluk possibly has an upper hand on him just based on maybe some of the, I don't know, excitement that he might be able to bring or some sort of kind of uh, unpredictability. As I went to the game where he started against Arsenal, played 70 minutes, looked like it was his hundredth start kind of thing where he looks really confident on the ball, lots of passing has a shot or a goal scoring opportunity in every game, not scored yet. Fingers crossed that will come at some stage soon. And as a result of sort of injuries and everything like that at Brentford, it's sort of fallen into place that he's been given um, that start. And, you know, hopefully it can build on going forward with obviously the, as we saw in the Luton game, et cetera, et cetera. So ultimately uh, I think that he has got a chance of making the March squad if he, if he keeps it up in all honesty. And it's a prime example actually for a lot of these youngsters that obviously if you put the work in and you get a move to the premier league or something it's not impossible because think about it a few years ago who out of the sort of ukrainian lot would even been getting a move elsewhere obviously it's kind of this paradoxical situation because of the the full scale invasion that russia caused that these players are kind of now motivated to leave because the upl has dropped so much clubs can't pay as well as they did in the past. But also this kind of openness now to to go forward because Yarmuluk, for example, he's only 19. As far as I'm aware, when he arrived last year, he could hardly speak any English. He can now hold his own uh, pretty well in interviews. Obviously, he's got improvements to make, but he's doing very well there. So the adaptation process is not a problem. And to actually be featuring now so heavily and getting lots of praise as well from everyone, including Thomas Frank, uh, at 19 it just shows a lot and I mean Adam you weren't you weren't you know taking the piss back three years ago when we were talking about him then you know you saw something yeah. and it's great to see it come to fruition and fingers crossed that it can continue because obviously he had that serious injury last year Uh, mm. looks like he's made a full recovery looks like he's also been like bulking up a lot so he's a lot more physical now for the sort of hardships of the Premier League and you know as long as it carries on, it's all good. And and one thing about Jan Maluk, he seems like a very down-to-earth, quite a, let's say, a professional, per se. Not involved in any controversies or anything like that. Uh, yes. Not, <laughs> yeah, and not making, uh, you know, a name for himself, per se. Just, you know, getting by uh, and slowly, hopefully, on his way up. And if there's going to be anyone to get that kind of, wildcard spot that Sudakov got at the last Euros in the squad, I think it would be Yehud.
2: You've got to say, when you 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 just hit the nail on the head there with the comment about Sudokov, he went to that tournament, he didn't play, you know, and we've got the famous memory of him being stood on the touchline mm. at the end of the England game waiting to come on. But as Demetrius July said, after that tournament, being at a tournament like that, being within the squad, is such a huge learning experience for young talents. And you've seen the way that Sordikov has come on since then and become this you know, world-class talent that is being scouted across Europe by a number of top clubs. And it will only benefit Jan uh, luck in his yeah. next steps over the next couple of years as well, in my opinion
3: yeah we'll just a few words about that i mm, i hope he will be in the march national team but uh few problems uh, in that because uh, we watched uh, five games of ukrainian under 21 team right now and Yehor yarmaluk is actually the youngest player of this team uh of the whole team so uh, he has like 20 more players in front of him like on the way to the national team uh, that could be a small issue because uh, Rebro is trying with Melgosa to build uh, the continuity system in Ukrainian football and someone like Artem Bondarenko or Vladimir Brashko are the next one to be featured in national team so maybe that will help like uh, Sergei Rebro but if if Yehor will play those games more and more like he played versus arsenal physically demanding really hard game with a lot of runs with a lot of physical uh fighting with with the big guys not with the young boys 18 year old boys on under 19 level uh that's gonna benefit him a lot and i hope he will be in a squad of ukrainian squad uh, if not in march then on euros i hope he will be but you know olympics there is always olympics and then Okay, kicking the balls way now.
2: Busy summer, a busy summer ahead. Now, Ray, I know you're champion at the bit now for some UPL talk. You guys at home can't see me. He's like crawling at the screen and everything. You know, go UPL, UPL. I don't blame you. It's been a, been a rather interesting few weeks, definitely. What has caught your eye in
1: particular in the UPL over the last few weeks? That The matches can be canceled due to the weather and nobody would be prepared for that. It's not the like top tier UPL match. It's more like a relegation battle match potentially. But I mean, the listeners probably know the match I'm talking about and no one knows if they're going to play, if it's going to be played at all. The teams are just continuing to prepare for the next one. Um, obviously the news about Varus caught my ear more, more than my eye because I've been like listening what's going on and uh, it seems like a complete uh, setup. So it's the classic of EPL clubs. Even if uh, the virus is called People Club, they still can be uh, sued by people. They still can uh, work out the schemes, you know. So it's everything is typical. So now they they were suspicious of their bankruptcy. And given the fact, the way they play, uh, it might be true. But no, they're just foreshadowing, you know. They're just uh, hiding the details of their activity because they owe the money to their own president. And since they're playing badly, and since obviously they are public scheme of, uh, you know, um, interactions and Bovors uh, left the club. So there is no more YouTube money, which I believe the views from these series kind of contributed to various, a minimal, of course, but uh, it's still the factor uh, and an important one. So they don't play well. They don't uh, accumulate any earnings and they are in debt more than 100 million hryvnias. So that um, thing with the court, which they are being called of, upon, it's not real. They are still collecting those debts. And they're going to just delay these payments and they're going to be playing for um, whatever most whatever Zoria plays in UPL for. We don't know. So Varys is basically like Zoria right now, even though they have this army of fans, which is like... I mean, yeah, that's that's not the thing I would call the army these days. But hey ho, this is the UPL, and all the clubs are in the same position except Shakhtar because Shakhtar is about to qualify to Euro- European
3: Spring. I've been to one of the home games of Varus uh, this uh, this season, uh, and this club is trying so hard to look like a legit club. Uh, of course it, it was it was a game versus shakhtar uh, in, in the first or the second game of the season something like that it was uh, the summer and the stadium was full with people uh the actioneers of the or co-owners of the team whatever they call them uh but when you when you're coming to to the stadium, you can see like uh, the VIP lounges. Uh, everything is set up. So some VIPs are coming with their like <laughs> bodyguards, something like that. So they are trying to be really serious uh, with uh, with their boss Ivan Deyn staying uh, like inside of VIP lounge with all the guests around him. It was Ukrainian anthem uh, with some guy from opera singing it. So it's it it looks like super real, super nice. It's it's like i don't know it's not it's not so epic like in police in in neighborhood this is like next level of hype Uh, but they are trying so hard and and when you're reading all those news like we can travel to turkey but it's too expensive we will get some money from our sponsor to buy a player uh we are going bankrupt etc 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 it's like you said it's it's that's such UPL thing. Uh, this is this is the charm of Ukrainian football. This is shit, of course. This is bad, but this is fun. At least we have something to talk about. But I hope there is going to be uh, there at least for 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 a few more years because this is nice story with all so, those so fans just going to matches and nobody gives a shit about the rules or something like that. Why not? It's rivna
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's a great insight. i just going to throw in the question before I forget. Uh, since we have Varus being uh, on in the spotlight like this, should we consider uh, Polisak, Rivbas or Ruh going the same route in the next maybe two or three years? Because they're super successful now. They're setting the standard, but they're still owned by one guy. So what if at some point they start playing badly? Well, Varus was never the top of UPL, but... They were okay at some point and uh, they seem successful, so those guys also seem successful. But they we know the way they are run, it's a classic UPL model. So, should we expect that from them in two or three years? Same trouble for them, Ruh <laughs> Krivbas Police.
3: So, okay, a uh, Krivbas is um, is not the same story. we know, like, we know, <laughs> yes, but
1: like, I mean,
3: yeah, with Ruh, yeah, we can expect that because Mr. Kozlowski, you know we can't be sure he will be like not in prison in seven months. we can't be sure for sure because this is this is a huge business of cigarettes and other stuff uh, in the western part of Ukraine. So Arucha is more close to to the virus uh, story but but Polisa, come on butkevich uh, and Jetomer he's trying really to do some kind of system with not just like spending money all over left to right. And I don't think Polisa could go in this way, like like Vares can go, like like Ruch can go. I think Polisa have a chance to be something stable, uh, because at least they have uh, good fan base right now, really good fan base. Uh, they have same my ready stadium, and so Polisa no, but Ruch yeah, Ruch and come on Ruch and Vares they had some switch few years ago, no, something like that. Or it was, that was yeah, balance. exactly
1: that was FC Lviv. Yeah, Yeah. which is uh, non-existent anymore.
2: Oh, yes. And not missed either. Not missed at all. You've even had, Andrew, the longest ever UPL game take
0: place over the last few weeks. Yep, if you missed it or not listened to my Talk Sport documentary. Or or part of it, at least. Or part of it, at least. Uh, (laughs) where There is the, the longest ever UPL match or the longest game in Ukrainian football. Ever took place. dnipro one against Alexandria started, was meant to start at 5 p.m. local time. Actually started at 5 15 because of an air raid beforehand. Then during the game, there were three air raids, one during a VAR call for an offside. So we had to wait an hour and two minutes for that VAR decision to be announced. So the longest VAR decision ever. Possibly, I think that might never be beaten, but it interrupted a few more times and it was finished. So the game took four hours, 36 minutes to complete, finished close to around 10pm local time. So Alexandria are really on the offbeat at the moment with being involved in all of these games that have got serious problems. They were involved in the longest ever match, involved against Obolonia with some terrible weather last season. They were involved in the match against Dnipro 1 as well, but they couldn't resume it after the delay because no lights in Usharod. So they've got some bad luck <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but anyway, a l- little bit less about them and more actually about Dnipro 1, who bloody hell, I did not expect this when uh, kuchar left near the start of the season. They looked absolutely terrible. They looked a lost cause like I like Maximov. I know Ray likes Maximov, And we know that he's a good manager, but bloody hell, I wasn't expecting him to put this kind of uh, show on uh, down in Dnipro, obviously back in that city playing there. And the fact of the matter is, is that they're playing some good football. Um, you know, last week they played against Chodron and Moritz and that was one of the games of the season. 5-2, end-to-end football. Avagimian um, for for and Moritz got sent off after scoring a free kick. Um, He's got his own Telegram channel, by the way. And when 3-1 went 3-1 up, he actually, from the bench or from the changing room, he was like, sorry, guys, this is all my fault. (laughs) So if anyone wants to, you know, follow him on there, definitely get involved because he's quite interesting, you know, have an insight from a footballer's perspective. The
1: future is now.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it really is. But, I mean, Filipov, remember him? Uh, one of our favourites from when he was tearing out for Desna. Really bad at St. Truden, Came back to Pro 1, billed as the replacement for Dolvick, Maybe not as prolific as him yet, but he seems to be in good form. Getting goals. Bogdan Lednev looks really not too bad either. He's contributing week in, week out. So, let's just see how long they can... Keep this on for because I feel that Nipro 1 possibly have got enough in for them just with their fixtures and everything that's going on to be champions at the winter break again, as they were last year. But as we know, everything changes in January in Ukraine where there's bloody contract expirations, people end up leaving, not coming back, no one knows what's going on, new players end up coming, uh, end up being crap, and all that kind of stuff. So it could be all 360. But for the time being, Dnipro 1, for me, are a lot more enjoyable and a lot more easier to sympathise with than the team that they had last year, in my opinion, because I feel that they're much more rounded now compared to what they were last year, whereas a lot of Dovbik and Pihlionok and not much else.
2: Well, there is another club, of course, in uh, the UPL that's gaining quite a, a lot of followers across social media in particular because of uh, a twitter account called europe's winless teams and uh, manai happily or sadly depending on your outlook they get promoted across twitter every weekend and this account appeared, after, I'd say it was late September, early October, and there were a number of teams then, and it's getting whittled down week after week after week, and Manai is still waving the flag for the UPL there, making sure it's seen by a few thousand people each, each week, and who they're going to play, and sadly each week they seem to still stay there is there any hope for them i mean vitaly if you've managed to see any of their games this year it's yeah. it's not looking good
3: yeah i I've, I've seen a few games of of menai the, the last one it was versus krivbas or the, the, the with a the, with the really bad weather game I, I can't remember who they were playing with vorsta yeah, yeah yeah i've seen the game versus vorsta the game versus krivbas the the last one uh and I'm I'm I do really want someone to compensate my time because that was like a torture. It's it's really hard to watch a mini playing right now. Uh the new coach Želko Lubanovic, whatever after Krivbas he was talking a lot about like okay we were afraid of Krivbas but we could play better. We're a decent team we should move forward uh uh, the UPL quality game is not such high as as you think. Uh, we have a great future. We need to stick together and last two games this season. We need to to finish on a, on a good uh, note. But come on, they're playing Dynamo. They're playing Alnzhay, and uh, oh, I I, I I cannot see a, any bright light. Mid edit update.
0: Menai versus Dynamo. Uh, was abandoned after two minutes following an air raid siren, all of Ukraine. Once it was over, Dinamo had already packed up and got on their bus. It was around close to quarter to three local time, but Dinamo said, there's no lighting here. Once you get that sorted, maybe we can play. So that's been currently postponed for the remainder of the 88 minutes that need to be played. And hopefully will be resumed at some stage in the new year. LNZ, that game has also been postponed, so that won't be happening. So, as of right now, I, mean, I go into 2024 as a winless side. And will be with 100% certainty.
3: We have a chance that this team will not win a single game in a championship. Maybe, of course, maybe, as Andrew said, in January, we're going to have like 17 new players... Uh... <laughs> loaned from Dnipro 1 under 19 or from Ruch and they will go back to place number 13 or 12 or something like that but I highly doubt that because Minai is, uh, is, is one of the worst teams in football right now in general not just in Ukraine and I'm watching a lot of tournaments they are bad they are genuinely super bad
1: Thank God. Ob- Minai is one of the few teams and beat this season.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the thing. It's just a shame because Minai actually, their backroom team, they got some really good marketing stuff going on, like loads of sponsors. But sadly, it's another example of where the stuff that's happening on the pitch, <laughs> it sadly lets everything down. Um, like even yeah, they- recently... You know, they've got a few good players. Yekhod I think, might be getting a move somewhere at some stage soon because he's probably the brightest player. Whether he's there beyond January, I'd be surprised, to be honest. And he actually, an interesting fact for anyone who wants to know, he's recently been fundraising for um, friends of his that are fighting in the front line for a battalion. And one of the prizes that he's sort of giving in these auctions or these donation raffles is to play football with him not actually on the pitch or anything but actually if you want to have a kickabout with him uh then get involved uh, find him on twitter no find him on instagram oh, cool. uh, uh, in no in the
1: snow conditions uh, <laughs> well
0: i think um if you donate enough i think he'll be happy to play it anywhere to be honest so uh, uh I've seen yeah, <laughs> wherever he fancies, or wherever you fancy, of course. But yeah, it's a shame we saw Sharan leave, uh, a stalwart, and now uh, Lubienovic is there. What's going to happen going forward? We don't really know. But as we know, Menai somehow are the unrelegatable team. Like they cannot be relegated regardless of <laughs> what happens. So potentially they might survive through some sort of magic. Um, at the end of this season. That's that's all I can sort of give.
2: <laughs> Something, yeah, to be, As well, uh, well
1: they're they very good at marketing. So just like you said, Andrew, they're very good. They're very bad on the pitch and decent off the pitch. I would say that the first part of the season was theirs in terms of marketing. Even that Adam said that they're big on Twitter. So, wow. But you have to you have to be balanced. <laughs> Definitely well. so. Hey, Ray, talking about throwing in a bit of
2: balance, obalon uh, are. Not only making uh, waves because of weather and beating Manai. What's your manager been up to?
1: Yeah, he decided to give the interview to the Ukrainsky uh, football newspaper. And uh, I, I am a fan of this newspaper. And it was a classic, bland interview. Nothing to make headlines from. And suddenly the last question goes about the female referees and since... In the Worskler game, there was a penalty which wasn't checked by VAR. And the referee was Kristina Uh, Ivashenko went ballistic. So he went off the rails. He said that the physicality doesn't allow women to be as good as men in terms of men's football because the intensity of the game is completely different. And, uh, well, uh, we know that the tests are all the same. You know, the UAF whatever they are, are up to now, but they provide the tests, equal tests for all referees, no matter the gender. So if you're good enough, then you will be in a UPL. And I know that um, uh, the guys from Tatotake, they came up with the full analysis of all female referees in uh, UPL. Unfortunately, I haven't checked all of it. And that was quite a big topic the other day. But it was a surprise for me that the guy actually decided to go with this. So if you don't give us the penalty, then the fault is on the gender of the referee, which is a mess. And it's not a good thing. And it just, uh, it just shows you one thing. That's um, Obolon is the club behind closed doors. It might be a family, it might be a good it, club with values, but it lives in its own reality, unfortunately. And, I mean, I, I'm as a huge fan of the club, might live in my own reality too, but I wouldn't go and say that the fault of the loss was the uh, gender of the referee. And I wouldn't go... I, I mean, I've been... He, the, Ivashenko said that the guys who uh, referee football should have played football. And he played football. And I couldn't say that he's the best manager ever.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well put. Other referees, though, in Ukraine, they're, they're creating headlines, positive ones. Am I right? The first refereeing team yep, yep. <laughs> to appear in the, U, in the UCL for 11 years. No, for 25. For, for 25, 25 years. Oh, time flies. Time flies. <laughs> 25 years. It's great. Absolutely great. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch the game, so I can't comment on the referee's performance. And normally you don't want to listen to me comment on the referee's performance as well. It was a good performance. Well... I watched
3: the game. <laughs> it was good performance. It was 0-0, two yellow cards. Nothing was happening. Perfect game for Mikola Balakin, Yeah. Nice debut right. on not Champions the, League. Not the
1: most perfect one because Zacharian wasn't sent off. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <Zacharian>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well said, well said, well and said. And
1: just as whilst
0: we're, whilst we're on this topic of, I don't yeah. know, referees, Ray mentioned uh, UAF there. UAF have announced that there's going to be an extraordinary congress on the 25th or the 24th of January, 2024. And during this congress, there's going to be at least discussions or and potential elections of a new president of uaf uh so next next january is going to be even crazier uh, than it usually is in ukrainian football because there could be some completely new movements going on there rumors that andriy shyrchenko being lined up uh to replace andriy pavelko not confirmed yet uh, or anything like that but he was seen at some of Ukraine's recent national team games uh, sitting close to sort of UAF guys so maybe that might be happening and then there'll be other elections for other different things uh, going on in UAF as well so could be a quite a big year or a big start to the year and hopefully sort of leads to positive um, changes going forward after sort of the problematic, stuff that we've been seeing over the past year and a half with um, Pavelk obviously behind bars um, and his general secretary too. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: So, metalist 1925, get a new president. The UAF, going to get a new president. Who else is going to be changing leadership? (laughs) Metalist 1925, surprised? Surprised (laughs) with that, the changes there? It's gonna get the club on a positive footing
3: no I'm not surprised at all because uh, I uh, I know this guy uh I know their business we we were working with them on my on my eSport uh, stuff uh, and uh, he is a big fan of hockey he's a big fan of city and he and, and his company are really good businessmen they're making good money and they to actually want to support not just a team for uh, PR measures, as some of team owners are doing. They want to recreate the youth academies and other stuff for, for kids in Kharkiv. And this is really important because he does not need a PR in Ukraine. His main business is not Ukraine. It's not Ukrainian market. Uh, this crypto, I'm, I'm not a big fan of crypto. I'm not a big specialist in this crypto stuff. Uh, but as far as I know, like 3 or 2% of their business is in Ukraine. 98% is abroad. So they do not really need like PR in Kharkiv. So this is a move uh, for his native city, for his Kharkiv uh, uh, to help a city, to help team and at this moment, I can see a businessman, not just like a shady businessman we have in, we had and we have in UPL for the last 25 years. A decent normal IT guy uh, coming into UPL, into a team for his uh, native uh, city and trying to do something really good, like develop a new team, develop some kind of uh, nice stuff with media, with uh, application they are working right now for a fan, something like that. So I see a future in that. I see a future with IT guys coming to Ukrainian uh, football, and I think more teams are gonna get like sponsors or named sponsors or owners or co-owners from IT companies, Ukrainian IT companies, because because have, we have a lot of top Ukrainian IT companies. So that's a good move, and I'm expecting uh, a rise of medalists next years from now.
2: Be exciting to see as well. That he definitely deserves it. Uh, as you mentioned, going way back about seven hours ago when you started listening to this podcast, we mentioned that the, the Persia and the Druva have gone for winter break. Uh, the announcements have come out that following the winter break and the promotion, the relegation groups are formed in the Persia. This year, the points won't be halved, which I think will be beneficial uh, going forward.
0: Um, it wouldn't have been beneficial for Obolon last season actually so this is kind of like a loophole that they use quite well and it why, why
1: do you use Obolon in context of Special league? I don't know <laughs> I'm just saying that last year there was a silly situation when the last team got 8 points and the first team got 30 so why would the team number 8 play with uh, the rest of the season It's uh, it's vacation basically so now it's better and since we mentioning fershan druga um what about another metalist and i had a question in my mind when uh, i was listening to vitali there why do you think uh, maybe there is a concrete reason i haven't heard of but why do you think nosov chose that metalist
3: because the other one uh, it has its owner uh he can, in he can be everybody. a owner. Every or, yeah he can, can be Kuchinko, I don't know. <laughs> uh owner with Yaroslavsky or Kuchinka. No, no, no. Um this is this is the main topic, just to continue. The new wave of Ukrainian businessmen, new wave, like the young guys, they have they don't want to have nothing in common with the old corrupt guys. Nothing. They do not want to work with them, they do not want to work in any case with them so the old medalist yaroslavsky medalist, with all the debts with other stuff will will die like dnipro died like Karpatel died whatever something like that uh and no one will help them right now if yaroslavsky will just pay the debts and like like sell that team for one dollar maybe but that's never happening so the new project is much better idea than the reviving on the old debt project you can I don't know, uh, put four or five years of work and then Jaroslavski will come back and will say, oh, come on, this is my team, thank you. So, no, that's not going to happen with the old map, at least.
2: Interesting, you mentioned Karpati there. Obviously, they seem to be storming away with it. Everyone happy that they're, they should be taking their spot back in the UPL next year. Do you think they'll be welcome back with open arms?
0: There's obviously recently been news that apparently back in May, UEFA or FIFA, they've been getting in touch with Carpate to say that they are the, or this Carpate, this form of Carpate, is the successor to the Carpate that went bankrupt a few years ago. Then that gave away the logo to the fans and then the fans gave the logo back to this one. Now, apparently, they're being seen as the official successor and might have to pay up to $8 Euro's worth of debt. However, the Carpata owner, sort of a sugar uh, king over in Lviv, he's got quite a lot of money. So potentially they might work out having to sort that out. There's also rumours that over winter, Carpata will be buying a load of players that they want to bed in before they get promoted to the UPL. So we might be seeing some kind of big transfers in January ahead of their promotion that seems pretty, pretty nailed on alongside Inhulets. And then it'll be like a battle between, you know, third and fourth and the playoff relegation stuff to see who ends up winning that. But interesting, interesting. And I feel that we probably in in a future episode, maybe over the winter break, we'll probably discuss Pashan Druha in a bit more detail. Definitely.
2: So that battle for fourth, Looks a lot more interesting this time around with, as you say, Inglets and Carpatia storming away with it. The relegation battle will be quite interesting as well. There seems to be five or six teams in and around, and three teams are up for relegation this year as well. So that ups the stakes there with the, the two playoff spots, whereas last year it was only one down to the Druha Liga. My own host are bottom of the pile at the break. Uh, it's been a pretty difficult few months there. Metalist, as you mentioned, uh, even beat them on the last match day to climb off the bottom of the table and replace them with Hust. But way back at the start of the season, I said that Group B, the Eastern division, looked a lot weaker than the, the Western division. And I still stand by that. And I think... Whoever finishes bottom of the group will come from the eastern half. We've, I think, Dinas, our good friends at Pincenic give they lovely club, but they don't look strong enough. Um, Kremen are another team struggling in in the eastern half as well. They do look slightly poorer than the western teams, and I think Rust, in particular, obviously affiliated there. Roughly with Manai, Manai could be dropping down to the Persia. It may be the right time for us to drop down to keep that link. <laughs> Take some of the young players; they won't certainly won't want a competitor in the same division or a, a feeder team in the same division next year. Uh, there, so it could be an interesting one, one to watch. The Druha is a bit of a mess <laughs> with. Uh, what was it vast, wasn't it? Have dropped out officially now, so there's a whole load of imbalance in the games.
0: Sadly, uh, over the past few days, news has come out of Niva Buzova that the club is ceasing to exist. Now that the winter break has started, uh, the manager messaged all his players in a message that we've been able to see, essentially says, "Thanks for your efforts. Really loved it." Uh, working with you guys and hopefully all the best in the future. But the club owner has decided to pause operations for the team at this winter break and is expected to withdraw, apparently. And the funds, the owner apparently will be trying to put a bit more into uh, Zusser, aka the Ukrainian army. Uh, But he doesn't rule out returning. To professional football after uh, the war is won, but obviously with the current complications, etc., that we're we're seeing, we don't know exactly when that might be. So it could be quite a lengthy period. But a shame that another scalp on top of Vast uh, has has possibly fallen, and as a result, I think it means that Bukovina, who are in or the relegation group, will be moving up to the promotion group because they're part of the Western conference.
2: The amateur clubs that turn professional this year as seemed to be the strongest. Um Andrew, your good friends from Kiev, um uh, was it LP FC, the, the Catholic team are doing rather well as well. It looks like they're going to take the step up along with Drusba, if I've pronounced that one right. Yeah. They've gone all gone into hibernation now until March, when they will return for their final games. They're a little more than halfway through their season, so it'll be a busy spring for them. They completely shut down now, and when January goes mad for the UPL, February tends to go mad for Persia mid February, so it won't be until then that we'll have an idea of what sort of teams are being put back together for the final parts of the seasons. But there's certainly going to be an interesting watch. Uh, two things from me before I say good night for the night. Uh, one, there was an interesting list of leagues for scouts to watch games around the world for for free. And, of course, Persia, Druga and the UPL made that list. It's one of only a few leagues in Europe where they are games are free to view, which is excellent, and it's certainly gained a lot of, Happy faces in the scouting community Mm. uh, this week there with hopefully more people joining in to watch it. And secondly, in that very same community, a lot of requests have gone out already for players to move to the UPL. There's a lot of desire to bring in players from outside outside of Ukraine into the league. So there could be some interesting transfers being lined up. Nothing fixed at this stage, but yeah, Clubs are looking to spread their wings, as always, and we could have some rather interesting names to watch um, this winter being announced and in the spring appearing in the UPL. But gents, it's been a great one as always. Uh, Vitali, been brilliant listening to your insight on it. Thank you so much for joining us today, taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule. Um, until next time, everybody. We will be back before the winter break. Well, over the winter break. <laughs> till then, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. Bye-bye.